Hello, I'm Paul Healy and welcome to the latest episode of Shattered Lives. As we record this episode, the 7th anniversary of the Regency Hotel murder of David Byrne has just passed. The murder formed part of the larger Kinahan Hutch feud, which to date has claimed 18 lives. Today you're going to hear a very personal account from the sister of one of the feud's victims, Michael Barr. Originally from Straban in County Tyrone, Michael was shot dead while working as a barman in the Sunset House pub in Dublin on the 25th of April 2016. Michael was murdered on the orders of the Kinahan cartel after being blamed without any evidence of involvement in the Regency Hotel attack. Today his sister Nolene speaks to Michael O'Toole and myself, telling her story about the brother she knew, the devastating impact of his loss, and about her thoughts on the persons responsible for his murder. Nolene, thank you very much for, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Um, and I, I know that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if anyone's ever heard you speak uh, about this in a public forum. So we appreciate the fact that you've uh, you've taken the time to speak to us um, about the loss of your brother and everything you've been through as a family. Um, but I thought I'd just start by asking you, you know, quite simply, who, who was your brother? Who was Michael Barr? There's not one word that could describe Michael. Um, he was just so charismatic, uh, loving, funny. Um, I mean, he was just like an all-rounder. He just would have done anything for anybody. He was so caring because of the family that he comes from. We're all like that. We're so close as a family. Um, and just we're loving through like what I feel is like I'm on a movie. And there's no other way to describe it. Um you know, like, I know through maybe media that people can get a perception of somebody, but that's just not the person that has been put out there. I mean, we know him, his friends know him. He was so loyal as a friend, as a brother, as a son, as a grandson, as a dad. I mean, he was just the biggest loss to us that, you know, I mean, it's just something we'll never get over, ever. And, and I mean, we will come to the obviously the the, the tragic event. Um, but but I just want to get a picture, I suppose, of of your childhood. I mean, the, uh, growing up together, was it Straban? And I suppose if you want to talk a bit about that. Well, first of all, we grew up in a small village called the Glebe. Um, that's where we were born into in Siamals. So I'm the eldest of six. Um, so Michael was fourteen months younger than me. So you could just say he was my first sibling, my first friend. Um, we did everything together as a, as children. Got on the many days we got on the trouble together, and many days we egged each other on. They do, uh, you know, silly stuff as what children do, like, and end up getting in trouble with your parents. But um, one day, like I can recall, uh, we had Easter eggs up on the cupboard, and I think I was about five, and he was about four, and uh, I said, Michael. Mum will just sneak a wee bit of the Easter egg, you know, and then we'll wrap it back up with a foil. So every time he took a bit, I wrapped it up and I says, just take another wee bit, DC. Of course, he kept going and going until I ate the whole bloody egg. Uh, of course, we were grounded for that. We used to take, to, we used to, oh, oh, this is mad. We used to take, you remember the electric heaters years ago? There was like three bars on them and like fake coal. So we used to plug it on the hall and take it on the bathroom and cook toast on it. <laughs> So we were always up to mischief, you know. Um, I would say I'd have been the one that uh, made the snowballs and Michael fired them. 
Um, and we went to school. We walked to school together every morning. I remember one day, actually, I think I was five, maybe four. Well, I would have been five because I was primary one. And he, no, I was primary two, so he was primary one. And I was off sick one day. And um, I happened to look out the window and the, the park was just across from our house. And I said, Mommy, I think Michael's standing at the, at the park. He never went to school because I wasn't there to walk him down. So Mommy went down and just get him a good slap and rolled <laughs> him all down to school. And another good memory, um, I don't know if he's want to hear all this, but um, I, was in, I was in primary four. We'd moved to Stravan actually at this time. And I was in primary four. And um, so our school building had, the, the girls' school was separate to the boys' school. And I was on the second floor of the school. And uh, we had this enormous tree that actually reached, you know, you could eye level to the window outside. And I remember my teacher saying, we used to actually go out with the dusters, you know, to get the chalk. We used to bang, we used to bang the dusters off the tree to get the chalk off it. But uh, so the teacher was sending somebody out to do that one day. And she says, oh, my God, there's two young fellas up in the tree. And I looked out the window and who was it? <laughs> it was our Michael. <laughs> you know, so it was always just a character, you know. So then as a child, I can just describe then as we got a bit older, he uh, we had loads of friends. I mean, our house was like a halfway house. Everybody called to us. You know, Mummy always just kept the key in the door and everybody just come on in. So, uh, and then days, like, Michael was very creative. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> he used to make, well, how many friends, obviously, they used to make, like, go-karts out of old prams and wheels. Um, and then they would build forts. Honest to God, they used to make, bar- they had barbecues and everything in the forts, underground. Like, they used to go into the fields and dig up the field, holes and, you know. So, there were, you would have seen, Michael would have went out in the morning. You wouldn't have seen him, Dave, was hungry. And then, <laughs> uh, back in the days. Your curfew was when the streetlights come up on, you had to come home. So that's the only time you ever would have seen him. And then he started to display, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but he loved, he wanted to make money. So at the age of 12, my granny gave him money to buy a lawnmower. So he used to go around and cut everybody's grass to make some money. And then he would have clean gutter. And then at Christmas time, he made Christmas logs and wreaths and sold them around the doors. So he always had this creative side of him, you know. So it ended up then, um, he ended up uh, displaying a brilliant talent for joinery. So that was through school. He would have made, uh, and my granny still has, you know, uh, the mirror and stuff that he had made her and, and school. And then and Sigerson's GA club here in Stravan, they still have a big Celtic cross that he that he made and it's still displayed in the clubhouse. So that's the story of how he became a joiner. And then, sorry, he had a child here in Stravan and then it ended up whenever Tiernan was too. So he was in Dublin nine years. So he moved to Dublin, obviously, because the work was there. You know, that's why he went to Dublin. That's how he ended up. Can I just ask me a quick question? I, as a northerner, this may relate to me. Were you affected by the, Was the family affected by the troubles much growing up? Oh, it was just something that was normal to us, you know. Mm. Strabane yeah. has a very Same. Republican town, you know. Um, I remember Michael actually and his youth, um, put, you know, going around houses with Sinn Féin leaflets. You know, they would have done a lot of, like, youth work for them or whatever. I don't know what the actual terminology is um, that the young fellas would have done for that. But, you know, we displayed an interest in Irish politics. Um, obviously coming from a Republican town because he was so uh, he was mad about GA so he played Gaelic he played Hurling 
And they actually did that when they went to Dublin as well. So we carried that on. You know, it was a brilliant um, uh, Gaelic player. And it's this isn't a crime. It, you know, some people think that it is, but it, you know, it's fair enough to say he was a Republican. He had Republican views. Oh, I definitely did. We all just the family we grew up on. I mean, the street we grew up on. Everybody was the same. So there's no, you know, I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. And, and, and obviously you were very close and, and did you keep in contact even when he was in Dublin would you have seen him yeah regularly? so Michael met a lovely girl in Dublin um, mm. and had two children mm-hmm. to her so but Michael came home every other weekend so he used to bring the two kids up every other weekend and obviously you know he did his rounds and they come to my house and become the dads mums I mean you know, and I mean, we're still, I'm still close to the children in Dublin. Um, They more or less grew up here as well. You know, sometimes the teachers, actually, Caitlin actually says in school, sometimes the teacher can recognise when she says some words that, oh, you're a naughty. <laughs> or there's somebody naughty in your family, you know. So, yeah. uh, no, like, uh, he just doted on them. Um, And, I mean, always kept in contact with us because we were just so close. Every one of us. So so, when did the, the the conversation then about the the pub, the Sunset House? When did he? How how did that come into his life? I suppose leasing a pub and getting involved. Yeah. In that? So Michael always talked about wanting to change career or change jobs or whatever. Wanted something different because Michael was so outgoing and liked. You know, running a bar to him would have been she's I'm a my element now. Do you know that's the type of personality he would have had? And you know when I hear. Um, some comments back from the locals that went into that bar. I mean, he was much loved. They actually had a display uh, on the bar to him, like a shrine, no more or less. I actually have the photograph of it. Um, so he was loved everywhere he went. You know, and I, I, I just want to put this on too. I mean, Michael had a lot of girlfriends in the past. He was a ladies' man. But even the mammies fell in love with him. That's how, you know, it was, that's how charismatic he was, you know. So Did- he got on well with everybody. Did you ever get to see him in the bar? Did you ever get to see him working behind the bar? I didn't, no. I didn't. I didn't. But he obviously, that was passionate. That was his passion to become a barman, was it? And to have his own place. And He was, or Michael, was on his element. He Mm -hmm. was just king of the castle. (laughs) And I remember, can I just say this? I hope it doesn't um, go on too long, but... um, just after he died, I got, I, you know, people putting up stories on Facebook or commenting under articles. So uh, I seen a girl writing under it. Um, oh my God, I can't believe this. Two weeks ago, I was on that bar. They were at a Tyrone match down in Croke Park. And this was another thing. Because this bar was so close to Croke Park and our Michael was just such a Gaelic lover. You know, this was, oh my God, I'm going to bring everybody from Tyrone down here, you know, and get them under my bar. So the girl, um, she actually lived in London, her and her fella, and they ended up coming to Dublin to watch the Tyrone match and stumbled upon the Sunset House. And our Michael, of course, whenever he seen they were wearing the Tyrone jerseys, um, approached him and she says, look, we have no money with us. And he says, listen, there's a uh, bank machine just down the street at one of the shops. And uh, she says, well, that's great, we'll go down. She says, he says, no, I'm going to walk you down because this is not a, you know, he knew the area. So it was a gentleman and he walked her down and she got her money and come up and, you know, and that was lovely for us to read that, you know, because that was just him. Yeah. And like, it's obvious from what you're saying that that he was well loved and known within the local community. He'd made a home for himself there in the the north inner city. Um, 
look, obviously, you, you know, we have to talk about the horrible event. I don't want to spend particularly too long on it, but it, it's something that you've had to think about uh, ever since uh, it happened, the 25th of April, um, 2016. Um, we we know, obviously, Michael was murdered uh, on the orders of the Kinahan cartel and that there's there's four people in prison now, three of which are, are serving life. Um, but can I take you back to that day, I suppose, when did you hear the news? When did you I did get the phone call or or, or hear um, that yeah. Michael had been shot? Well, it wasn't through any um, official person from Dublin that let us know. There was absolutely no contact. Um, so what happened? My sister just had a new baby. So her husband actually went to Asda to get milk um, for, the, for the baby. And she received a text through her Facebook account or whatever you know messenger I don't know what I said but I remember actually that evening about half nine um I was so tired it was a Monday evening and I thought I'm just going to go to bed and read a while and I just got my jammies on jumped onto bed and opened the book and I got phone call from Deirdre and she says the only thing she said was he's dead I says who's dead and she says Michael and I says Michael who you know I just couldn't didn't even enter my head that it would have been him. And she says, your brother. And after that, like, I, I actually have no... The next thing I remember is being downstairs. And I phoned my mum. Because Deirdre had a ring mummy. And she had a ring daddy, actually, before she rang me. So she said whenever mummy just went silent, she just couldn't speak. Daddy kept saying, I'm going to ring him here, I'm going to ring him here. So he was ringing his phone. No, his phone's ringing. So he's all right, he's okay, he's grand. And then after that, so obviously she rang me. Um, and I just remember being down in my um, uh, sunroom. And at, at that time, I mean, there's nobody out my house phones now, but I had a house phone. I had a house phone on one hand. I remember ringing my mum. And I, I just remember squealing. And I was like, do you ever see like an actual somebody wailing? I never thought that I actually had that on me to do that because I'm quite a strong person, you know. But I was floored. I went to the floor. And I remember having the house phone in one hand with my mum and she was shouting, calm down. And I had a, my mobile phone on the other hand. And I was ringing my uncle in Dublin who was downstairs with Michael at the time. And he couldn't speak. And I remember just squealing and squealing. But my son, like my two children were in bed. Ronan was 11 and Cara was 9. And Ronan, I remember him coming under the room and I was on the floor screaming. He was oh, Mommy, what's wrong? What's wrong? And obviously I had to tell him. Um, and then actually my neighbours knew that there was something going on because they heard me as well. And the first thing I wanted to do, I wanted to go and see my mum. I wanted to go and see me. I had to actually ring my granny and I had to tell my granny. Michael and my granny were like that. He was the brown-eyed boy. He, like, she idolised him. How do you even form, form um, the words to... To have to tell somebody, yeah. Uh, it's just... Uh, it's just the strangest... I don't know, like... I don't, like, have we been through deaths, obviously, with grandparents and things like that? But, I mean, this was beyond, you know, comprehension. You know, beyond any words could describe. But um, I remember... Uh, I think I, I, did, I did... I went to Dad's first. And I remember going on the door to my Dad's house. And... <clears throat> I could hear him on his bedroom and I walked under the bedroom and he was lying on his bed and I mean in the fetal position screaming and screaming 
So I started taking panic attacks. I couldn't breathe. And then all of a sudden, I remember all my aunts and uncles coming in and they were telling me, calm down, breathe. And I couldn't. I was just like, <laughs> look at us here. I was just, <gasps> and daddy kept saying, daddy had lost his brother when Cahill was 20 and dad was 19. And I, I just remember my dad shouting, Cahill, I hope you have him. I hope you have him. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you know. And then I went to see my mum. My mum was just numb. She was like, I thought to myself, Jesus, I'm going from one extreme to the other. Um, and obviously then I had to make a few phone calls and, and tell friends and things, you know. So obviously everybody was so good. I mean, they all rallied around. And, but the worst thing after that was hearing that um, we would have had a good eight days before his body come home. And dad found out. Um, so dad got a, I don't know how he ended up speaking to the authorities at that time. But he was told to come down to Dublin to identify him. So he made the journey down, maybe a day or two after uh, that happened. Uh, but sorry, even that night, actually, I'm just going to go back to that night. We kept checking social media and I kept checking. Oh, maybe it's wrong. Maybe he's just injured or maybe he's gone to the hospital or, you know. But the reports did come out at that time that a man, a, tr a man from Tyrone was killed. And still at that time, we had no confirmation from any authority in Dublin. So anyway, as the day or two went on, dad got the message or whatever to come down to Dublin identify him. So dad got down. I think he took my uncle down with him. And when, when he went down, he was told, no, it's all right, we don't need you now. Didn't let him see him. Didn't let him in. So we had him make the journey back up to Strabane again. So then at that time, I know, it was awful. And, that, you know, just that weight as well. And we were actually told at that time that we won't have a, an open coffin because he's extent of his injuries. Um, and I thought, you know what, I don't think I could cope with that because it won't give me any closure if I don't see him. You know, you just wanted to see him. Like, you know, you just wanted to, I don't know. Of course. Believe it. Yeah. <laughs> In some yeah. way. Sorry, I'm just no, getting emotional. You're okay. But when he arrived home, I'll never forget it was, it was, dad's house was just like, you couldn't have moved on it. There was people everywhere. <clears throat> and the coffin arrived home and went on there, the bedroom. And I remember my dad saying, look, with the undertaker, I'm going to go on, and my uncle, I'm going to go on and check him, see what he's like, because nobody knew, nobody seen him. We were told, no open coffin. So, um, we were all sat in the living room, anxiously waiting to hear something. And all I heard was, oh, Jesus, come on and see him. He's beautiful. And everybody went to make a beeline to the room. So I stood up and I just said, family only first. But you know what? This might sound funny now looking back, but we all went on and it was just beautiful. It was just the way we remembered him. But... Dad has a big um, poster on the wall, like a framed poster of um, the 1916, what's that? You know The that? martyrs, the men who were executed, is it? No. Oh, no, oh, no, no, the, oh. The, 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 the proclamation. The proclamation, that's what it was. So I'll never forget, actually, my brother, Kieran ended up throwing himself over the coffin, screaming. But the, that proclamation just fell off the wall and smashed Jesus. on the floor. Oh my God. I swear to God, like, and that just shocked everybody. But the priest had just come on then and obviously started prayers. But I was like, well, Michael bloody done that. That's a sign. He's saying to us, would you ever shut up? <laughs> you know, um, 
But then I remember his kids coming up from Dublin <clears throat> the next day. And his kids happened to hold hands and go under the room. And one of them says, why is daddy not waking up? Was just... My God. You know... Kellyan was five. Tiernan was 11. Um, Caitlin was eight. It was just after her eighth birthday. His last photograph was with her giving her a kiss. Where... Or cake. And then... My God. Hello. Are you glad you got you got to see him, Nolene? Oh, my God. Oh, it was such a relief. Absolutely. It was just... I could just see him for the last time and remember him. You know, and abs- you know they actually did an amazing job with him because, you know, he was dead for eight or nine days. You know, so... Shout out to the Undertakers, they really did an amazing job with them. But, you know, near the end of the week, we actually had to end up closing the coffin then because of that smell of the formaldehyde or whatever you call it. And, you know, thank God his injuries weren't to his face. They were at the back, they were here at the side of his head, his neck. I actually only learned in this past year what what the exact extent of the injuries were through... yeah, through um, the paper. It was because of the, the, I think it was the last fella that was, I just, I tried to distance myself from it because I didn't want to know, but I ended up reading oh, it anyway. The, and I, from the pathologist. The, the coroner's car- report. Car- yeah. 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 So so I actually learned that he had seven bullets to the head. I think one on his side. Um, And then, like, I had to end up reading. Uh, he was lying in a pool of blood with his eyes wide open, you know. But the thing for us as well, you know, Dad was so annoyed that he lay in that bar all night without getting his last rites. That would have been important, you know, for us as a family, you know, to have that. But unfortunately, he didn't. But um, another, sorry, another thing we just, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in the living room with my granny watching TV. And we were watching Reelback, as it's an RT, the news stories from that particular year. And... I just knew, I knew it come to January because we had a lot of um, rain and there was flooding, a lot of flooding up here. And I had a wild feeling, I suspect you now, Michael, you're go- we're going to see him. Um, and Granny has never seen any footage or any photographs. So the next thing we just seen uh, the Sunset House and Michael coming out in a red body bag. And I thought, what the hell do they have to show that for? You know, seriously, my Granny just was like, Christ, you know, an 80-year-old woman having to see that, like... It's shocking, and you mind me asking. You know, obviously, it's it's hard enough to lose your brother at such a young age, but to have to come to terms with the fact that he was murdered, and and in in that way, when did it dawn on you? I suppose that he that he had been look targeted uh, in in a gangland type hit. Well, we started to read articles in the paper. That's how it started to um, come to light, and we started to worry for Michael. At that time, after the Regency happened, um, Bose was from Strabane, and so we started to worry. Um, and t- kept telling him, Michael, you need to come home. And he was all, "What the hell do I want? Need to come home for? It's nothing to do with me." And he, you know, he kept saying this. He was like, "It's it's absolutely nothing to do with me." You know, so near the end, actually, um, just before he actually was murdered, um, he started to kind of feel maybe that there was a threat in his life. I don't know, like, I can't speak for him. I don't know if anybody approached him. I don't know. But I think because of the raids in the bar, 
the CCTV was taken out just a week or two before he died, you know. Um, I suppose the guards were investigating. Um, maybe, uh, you no, know, obviously they were saying he's from Strabane. But um, at that time, like, we were so worried about him. Like, every one of us, we were all telling him to come, come home. And I remember Daddy then, near the end, before he died, like, Michael, you're, you have to come. And he says, I know, Dad, I know. And Dad was just going to come down maybe that a day or two before what happened. And oh, my God. Just And you know this, like, uh, sorry, you're Paul. Fine, yeah. um, I mean, I mean, a lot of them local people would, would have known who's who and what's going on. So obviously Michael would have heard a lot of stories, you know, from the local people, you know. So they all know who's who and what's what. So he did start to fear for his life, he did. Had he talked to you about the um, Regency Hotel at all? Was that a conversation you've ever had as, 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 about it? Not at, at all. Yeah. Nope. Absolutely nothing. And me and Michael talked about everything. And he talked to Deirdre and Cairn, you know, the way he would have talked to me. And he had absolutely no concerns at that time. We didn't even, I didn't even know nothing about it. You know, it was nothing to me. I didn't, you know, I thought, oh, that's just what goes on in Dublin or whatever. I didn't know the extent of things until my sister actually would have started um, reading on it. She would have been, she's actually traumatised. Absolutely. PTSD, you know, everything. I don't know. But no, at the end up, he... All I can say is uh, he did start to fear for his life and, and was making the decision to come home. Just a quick question. Um, obviously, you know, after a couple of weeks, really there was a, an, a, a Straban link with Kevin Murray, although he wasn't named. I think a lot of people knew who he was. Did, did, um, did, you, did, did he have any relationship? Did he know him? Did he know Kevin Murray? But sure, everybody knew everybody in Strabane. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? This is such a mm. small town. I mean, I mean, even me listening to your podcast, going to work there every morning. I mean, I was like addicted there. I couldn't wait to, was driving to work to listen to it. I mean, some of the bloody names, <laughs> but some of the names that have come through, uh, through that podcast, I was like, what? You know, shocking for me and shocking for everybody in our family to hear some of them names, but... No, you know, to me, it was like an association. Michael was from Strabane. Kevin Murray was from Strabane. Can, can I just ask one quick question, Nolene? Do you remember hearing about the Regency yourself? No. Just... So it hadn't entered the family's consciousness, no. really? Because, you know, it's not something that whatever connect we would ever had any connection to. You know, actually, whenever I... The first... Actually, I do you know when you're saying that. The first thing I seen was um, the front page of the Sunday World. And I seen Kevin Murray. And I was like, what? You know, what the hell? <laughs> so that was my reaction to it. Never, ever putting Michael and that connection to him. You know, never in, uh, in a million years. And that's a very good point because, you know, being a northerner myself, everybody knows everybody else. So, you know, when you saw that picture, it was clear that it was Kevin Murray. Oh God, I yeah, I knew it was just, him right away. See that? I was like, "Is he for real?" Mm. <laughs> you know, I was like, "What? What is the purpose of this? Or what? You know, it was going to do something so horrible, and you know, nobody deserves that. Whatever family you're from, you know, at the end of the day. But I mean, dear Jesus, if you're going to do something like that, cover your face. Well, you see, that's you what know? that's one of the enduring mysteries for me. I don't know for Paul why. Did Kevin Murray not hide his feet? I just cannot get over it. Maybe because Kevin was dying. You know, he obviously knew he had motor neurons disease at the time. Because he didn't, you know, he died maybe. Was it a year, a year after that? Yeah, I think about 18 months, yeah. 
So on my, you know, just on a personal level, I just was like, seriously, if you're going to do something like that, what, you know, I just don't get it, you know, especially coming from the North and knowing things that come, goes on in the North. I mean, you don't be buckled, you wear your ballot ever, you do, you cover your face. But, you know, and I don't mean that, like, people shouldn't be of doing course, that. Yeah. I'm not no, advocating yeah, it or whatever, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. That's the norm. Yeah, no, it's baffling. But he obviously wasn't bloody normal. He obviously didn't care. It was baffling. Yeah. No. So that's the thing, you know, would he have put, if that was the thing, why would he have put Michael's life in danger if he was connected? You know, would he actually, obviously he knew that there was so much press was there, so much guards were there because of the whole hype of the, the Canon cartel. I mean, I absolutely knew nothing about the Canon cartel, although I've learned since uh, how it all started and things like that. But I mean... Just it's beyond me how you can be married on that, but I don't know. I can't answer. It. I I don't want to linger on the uh the, the threat to his life for too long, but just you because you've raised it, the fact that and I mean that's the first I've heard of it that there was concerns um for his safety before uh his murder. Yeah. But uh, well, had, had he, can I just say <coughs> sorry? Yeah. Well, you know, looking back, I remember articles being printed in the papers um putting Michael's name out there too. You know, so where was this information coming from? How, you know, it was like Michael was being fed to the lion's den. I don't know. Do you think there were there were there and people the, out there that were trying to put him in the frame for, for something? and tar- Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know if it's the guards. I don't know if it was maybe local. I don't know. Maybe other paramilitary style groups or whatever you want to call well, look, them. I, uh, but I, yeah, I, can, I can say from the perspective of being a reporter and, and Mick... Mick my agree with me probably has a better recollection of it than than i uh even that at the time of your brother's murder obviously it was not long after the regency incident and you hear things from your sources and things are said and immediately reports were written and connections were made that oh this has something to do with the feud and he was targeted because xyz um but i think here we are what seven years later I don't think the truth uh, has, has, has been established in terms of why your brother was targeted. I've never seen any evidence. Uh, no, no, it's beyond us. That, and, and, and by the way, no one deserves to be murdered, by the way. We'll just say that. But I've never seen any evidence that your brother was involved in the Regency Hotel incident in any way. But it, obviously that was something the Kinnahans must have believed. Hence, he was targeted. I mean, why? why I suppose that's the better question. Why... Do, do you know why but Paul, your, your brother was murdered? But Paul, no. there, there was plenty of other journalists that believed that Michael had um, involvement in the Regency. I mean, everybody was just printing lies without having bloody facts. You know, and they were putting, they put our lives in, in danger as well. You know, just don't forget, Michael was murdered. We were sitting terrified for years after it because that story has never ended. It's going on and on and on. And until this trial, this Hutch trial that's going on now at the minute, it's been proven that Michael was innocent. He's never been mentioned once. Well, proven for us as a family, you know. Um, but not that we've ever doubted it. We've all, like, I will take that to my grave. I'll always um, say Michael was innocent. I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here now. There's so much in my head. Um, do, do, just, just let me ask you, Nolene, look... Paul and I were talking earlier about the murders by the Kinnan cartel of two men, Dahi Douglas and Darren Cairns. Now, they were innocent, but the Kinnans, you know, the Kinnans aren't law enforcement. They don't have a, a level of 
proof. If they believe something, they'll go after somebody. And they went after two, two, those two men, wrongly believing they were involved in a, in a, in a previous incident and an attempt on Daniel Kinnan. Do you think... Uh, that the Kinnahans believed Michael was involved because that's all that matters not proof if they believe something yeah, do you know what I mean? I believe that they do well no look at I'm not going to say they believed it because they obviously didn't because not so long ago I learned of um, an intermediary actually um, what could you say approached somebody and Daniel Cannon wanted to send his apologies and wanted to give the family, uh, uh, what's the word, like money, because they were sorry, they were, uh, they were what's that compensation? They wanted to compensate the family because uh, and say sorry for the murder of Michael. So if you want to speak that, Dad'll, Dad'll speak about that. But wow, that's what I know. So, um, just because no. that's uh, obviously news to <clears throat> most people. Yeah. As, as far as you're aware, uh, an intermediary, as you said, somebody came forward and and yeah. and and made issued an apology on behalf of Daniel Kinnan to your family for yeah. the murder of your brother. Yeah. To say sorry um, for the murder of Michael, that they made a mistake and that they wanted to compensate the family. So they were told where they stuck their money, blood money. And just to put it out there as well, Paul, like we have never so, or went to the state and claimed compensation for, for Michael's murder either. Money doesn't matter to us because it's never going to bring him back. And, and, and obviously we're, we, we, can't, we don't want to identify people, but uh, the person that, that um, this intermediary uh, um, would be a, a known associate to, of, of Daniel Kinahan, would that be fair? Or would certainly be... Would, I can't would, Certainly, sorry, I'll phrase it another way. Um, it's not like any Joe Soap came and, and approached somebody. It, it, no, it, no, it's somebody yeah. that I would have obviously links with on the, the Kenahan character. So this is something but, taken I mean, seriously. They, they obviously know that Michael was innocent yes. and they got it very, very wrong. That's extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. Nolene, may I ask, forgive me for asking this, but just we'll have to ask, did they offer a certain amount of money? I don't know. I really don't know. All I was told was an intermediary come to somebody close to us and they were actually just said, Daniel Kenahan sends his apologies and wants to offer the family compensation. Um, and that was that. I don't know anything more. I don't even want to talk about it That's again. Okay. It's out there now. Holy God. And, um, yeah. you know, I don't have the facts. Yeah. Just been what I've been told. Well, so that, That's sensational. God Almighty! But uh, obviously, it means nothing. I would imagine to you as a family, an apology. How many years later? No, no. I mean that's could have happened years ago. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? That's could have actually happened years ago because maybe I have in my own head. My dad's mental health was awful for years. Absolutely, you know. So maybe it it couldn't have been told years ago. You know. I mean, you can imagine what my dad suffering and my mum, you know, to find out, to hear that information. Maybe it wasn't, it wasn't a, the right time to hear it. I don't know. Look, I'm just saying that's what was said. I don't know when. But it happened. But it happened. But I mean, you know, as we said, there was never, we've, we've never um, seen uh, any or proof that your brother was involved in the Regency incident. Uh, nonetheless, he did, he, no one deserves to be murdered, but... 
Uh, obviously, now the Kinahans, what came to their own conclusion as well, that uh, he wasn't involved. But uh, as Mick already pointed out, they they act they acted as judge, jury, and executioner. They murdered people first. They asked questions after. And I mean, that, I suppose, shows you the nature of the people we're dealing with here. Just pure evil. That's not, you know, we lived on fear for years after it. Like, I'm saying that now, it's seven years later, obviously. Um, I'm not as bad as what I would have been at the very beginning but you know other family members are just totally traumatised um, you know one day actually maybe a year after Michael died my sister had to take her daughter to the doctors and she went to get out of the car with a with a gear where we get um, and she's seen a Dublin car parked next to her you know the Dub- uh, registration she couldn't get out of it she froze and she took a severe panic attack. So a man in another car had to come over and help her. You know, uh, that's the the kind of life that you're loving. Uh, I had to take a year off work. So did she, you know. And luckily enough, thank God, they were very supportive of us. You know, no one what we've come through. Um, I've had counselling. I've had, you know, I've had to go for counselling. I've had, you know, all members of the family actually have had to go for counselling. Um, and it's affected us not just mentally, but some of us physically. You know, when you have that amount of trauma in your body, it affects you. Especially my mum, like she's got conditions like fibromyalgia now that she can't even leave the house. And, you know, you're just in loving and fear all the time going, is, is everybody looking at us or who are they? Who, why is he looking at me? And then another thing, you would have been on the street going, Jesus, is that Michael? You know, you know, you were just always. And then especially to you say if something happened, you were like, Oh, I must ring Michael to tell him. You know, just these wee silly things. But no, we did. We did love and fear. And I mean, I always, um, I went retreated to uh, Donegal for a lot of the time after Michael died. And I just remember one night um, I went over to my friend's um, caravan, just needed time out. And I ended up, I walked back over and went, walked on to mine. And the, the TV was on and it was RTE News. And it was just a big the full screen was just Michael's face and I was just like, Jesus. But then you have, over the years, you've like articles coming out, you know, and they're blaming him for this, they're blaming him for that. Photo- and then I'm looking at the photo going, Michael would turn his grave, you know, now if he's seen that picture, that's why I look him. Because <laughs> he was so, he loved his appearance and it, you know. <laughs> so, but forever young, that's what I'm going to say, but we miss him dearly. Like it's just, life's just not the same. It never will be. You've just, we've all had to learn to live our lives differently and, Without him, we, we we sometimes hear this, Nolan, and I'm going to be honest. I, I was working the night Michael was murdered, and I remember working on it. And one of my colleagues, we, we managed to get one photo. We always think it's very important to get a photograph because it's it's the person. It's you know it encompasses the person. I wish you had a come to me. Sometimes we Michael. feel. <laughs> no, I I I, I know I know that, but look this. Yeah, it was like we we didn't get to hear about it until I I think about a quarter to eleven, and you know you rub you not this isn't it's totally minor in relation to everything but you're up against a very 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 tight deadline and we just managed to get one photograph and I think it, it the photograph was going round and it was and it was getting it getting the photograph and getting it ID'd but you, look you're right I mean I'm sure that it it, it was at least an image of him. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. always think, and Paul agrees with me, we always go the extra mile because yeah, but Michael, we always try and get the person. My brother, Michael, absolutely loved his stuff. He loved his appearance and he thought he was God's gift to him. And so I, one of the photographs that keeps appearing, I'm like, oh, Jesus, he's going to turn on his grave if he's seen that. <laughs> no, I can understand, you know, but... Um, ah, you know. 
Is it, is it, it give just to give them we're talking about the coverage, is it, is it, it's obviously painful for you as a family to, to still see your brother maybe associated with this feud in some way, is yeah. it? And to, to have his face associated with a gangland feud and, and maybe for people uh, who don't know him, the public maybe to make assumptions that he, uh, oh, I mean, well, you know, he was involved in some way yeah. and that and, and that so he met his fate as a result of that, yeah. you know. And, and reading the comments the, under things like that, you know, people saying, live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, they haven't a bloody clue. They just hadn't, you know, they don't know the man behind that. They don't know the person, um, you know. Look, at we just come from an ordinary family. We weren't in any way, uh, you know. And, and here's the, the thing I always, that gets to me. Like, Michael was so anti-drugs. He hated drugs and he hated to see young ones getting involved in that you know it was all on this sport you know and he loved seeing young fellas getting involved in the, the GAA and things like that um you know and it kept them grounded and it kept them out of these social things um where you can easily fall under that trap obviously but for him to be murdered by a drug cartel for him to be just so anti-drugs it was just like Christ almighty like you couldn't have made that up you know what is it, I mean, is it, what we're talking about here is, is, do you believe that effectively somebody somewhere along the line said to the wrong person, that fellow was involved in the Regency or gay, and, and then that's well, why his life was taken? Obviously. Yeah. But it's so it's so crazy that I suppose yeah. someone's word was taken for it, potentially. You well, know. right. So we'll, we'll just yeah. put it like us here. Eamon Comerton would have been a, yes. a regular in the bar. Uh, you know... He was a, an INI man, obviously. There's another couple of guys who are in jail now, but not for Michael's murder, who were in the bar. Michael wasn't, he wasn't even to be in the bar that Monday night. He never, ever worked on a Monday night. But he was running a, like a, like a, what's the word? Some kind of thing for like prisoners' wives. You know, uh, they were gathering, what else did they do? I don't know. There's a name for it, but I really don't remember the name. <laughs> Prisoner's welfare, is it? Aye, aye. So he was running like a, a draw so that they could um, get funds or whatever. So he, that was just a one-off. So on that, and that was just after the centenary as well, um, celebrations in Dublin that weekend. So I think that's why they coincided it actually with that weekend. Because they actually had a few friends down from Strabane that whole weekend. Oh, he, lo- he loved all that. I mean, he was just, you know... And his element, like with uh, all the celebrations going on in Dublin. Um, so he wasn't to be in the bar on the Monday night. It's for, um, he, d- he definitely didn't work in the bar on the Monday night. So there was obviously people in the bar that night. You know, so how, how did the shooters know that he was there? So there was obviously somebody there that knew and fed the information. So he knew Eamon Cumberton? He probably, uh, he knew his face. Uh, I would have known his face. And he knew jo- right. Johnny Cools as well. And, and, um, the others involved, Martin Aylmer, um, Christopher Slater, would you have known? Would those be never heard? I've never heard before? their names mentioned, no. Well, do you know, I, and I'm saying this because this is information that we got from locals in the bar. You know, so it's not to say Michael spoke to us about it. You know, what, what we're taking this, this is information that we got from locals in the bar um, that Eamon Comerton would have been uh, a guy that would have drank in the bar. And Johnny and, uh, obviously, so. you mentioned at the start of the interview that there were connections with the Hutch family. Would he have? Uh, would Michael have have, have known? Um, I suppose some of the people that were often writing about uh, in in terms of members of the Hutch family were like. I suppose it's the inner city. Maybe they visited the bar. Would that be the relationship, or did he did he actually know these people well at all? Would you know? 
No, I know that he knew one of it, one guy um, connected to Hutches, but he actually did uh, joinery work in his home. Right. That's how he knew. Right. So that's how, you know, and then maybe somebody said about, oh, that's buyers going for lease. I don't know. I can't speak for Michael. I mean, I actually don't know. Michael did a joinery work on one of the houses. I don't know. I'm going to put two and two together. That's, you know, that's how he ended up on there. Tell, tell me, Nolene, do you ever think about Johnny Kyo and Comberton, or do you ever, you know, Comberton, the men convicted of Michael's murder, do you ever think about them? No, never. Um, in fact, I actually went to, I never actually um, attended any of the trials. I went to the verdicts. Um, I went to Eamon Comberton. Um, just showed no remorse. Um, in fact, I think I think his girlfriend was there at the time and she was shouting and roaring, how do we put out? Um, I actually went to, do they get the guy from Liverpool? Uh, Slater. I can't remember. Hunter. Oh, Hunter, Hunter, sorry. Yes. Hunter. Yes. Aye. Uh, so um, I remember being on the trial that day, or the the verdict actually that day. I mean, Jesus, the the legal system has a terminology of their own. So it was like you didn't understand what they were saying, but I mean, obviously they had to go through all the facts. Um, so it went on for hours and hours. But Cumberton never looked at us at all. So he kept his face down. But Hunter did. So he he locked eyes with me for a long time, and he stared me out. But sorry, I stared him out because he actually had to look away. Um, but you know what the strangest thing was? We actually went for a cup of tea to the wee cafeteria, and um, we were all having a con- like the rules of us were there. Uh, we were having a conversation, but on in the background, I could hear Scouse accents, and it was his dad, his daughter, his uncle. Right. You know, and I was just like, oh my god, we we're all just sitting in the same room, like you know, in the proxim. You know, we were really so like a yard away from yeah. each other. It was there, it was mental, yeah. but. Um, I don't know. I've heard. I've heard recently they've all been putting on. Uh, I heard Cumberton's putting on a claim now for not somebody knocking. Yeah, down see that personal injury that was in the paper. Personal uh, injury claim. Forgot. I thought. What about my nieces and nephews that are left with no father? You know. No, no, we spoke about this before, Nolene. You know, Hunter. You know, and Cumberton. You know, they were, they're the killers, but they, they, you know, they they didn't come up with this. It's, it's people like Daniel Kinnan who orchestrated this. Yeah. They're the bloody puppets. That's what I call them. Stupid man. Absolutely. What we, what we would call, like, I actually work in Derry, so there's a, a name for some of that. We just call them dime bars. Um, you know, that's just like, seriously, like, would you do that for a couple of pounds? Would you consider somebody's life either for drugs or money? I mean, do they, are they that stupid? You know, there's, I don't know, maybe they, they haven't had a family like ours. You know, they haven't grown up in a proper, loving, nurturing environment. You know, maybe, I don't know, that's where you're from or what. I, I, look, I can't answer that. I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I just think they're the most stupid, vile humans. They're not, I couldn't even call them humans. They're just sick in the bloody head, every bloody one of them. And do you know what? Anybody that gets involved with things like that, should know what their bloody fate is at the end mm-hmm. of the day. What are your your if you mind me asking your your thoughts on Daniel Kinahan? I mean, and and his gang. I mean, effectively the mob that ordered uh, your your brother's murder. That's surprising because the thoughts that I have, I I hope I love long enough to see the day that I see that man in court, and I want to look him in the eye. You know. Um, 
what way can I describe this? I, I just feel it's a bit strange how some people are arrested and jailed, but there's some people still at large and the likes of Dubai, you know. All right. It's funny. They got they got Jerry Hutch in Spain. How, you know, how do they not get any? You know, I've, seen the, I've seen the list of the people that are on the list um, for like the Americans obviously are after them. But there's a list of people. So so tell me how are I can't remember. I don't even know their names, that's the truth. But so you go from the top, it's like Kenahan and then whoever their henchmen are after that. So how are they still at large? I mean, how come they were able to get Jerry Hutch, but they're not able to get these boys out in bloody Dubai? You know, is there a bit of blocking coercion going on or a bit of corruption here? I, you know, it's just about bewildering. But I, they will be caught. I do believe that they will be caught. And I believe that I will see him in court. Uh, our family and it means will. something, as you said, to you and your family to to see Daniel Kinahan particularly in court and then to, to face him in court. Big time. I don't give a shit about Comerton or Hunter or any of them puppets. You know, at the end of the day, Kinahan made the... Uh, what's the word? That's, he had the direction. He rolled the snowball, the rest of them threw it. Um, so he is the one... I don't know. I just I hope he ends up in American jail. That's all I can say. I, I just hope he ends up in American jail, not an Irish jail. Um and and on Kinahan, um, I I know there is a civil case in the states, and uh, him and MTK Global are being sued. And as a result of that, um, the lawyer involved in that actually reached out to you and your family. Um, uh, am I right? Yeah, my dad met yeah. him last year. Yeah, yeah, dad met him last year and found him very down to earth. Um. Dad explained to you know what the situation was and how we were as a family and I suppose all the other families that are something like us today. Um, some of them are actually afraid to, to speak out, but I mean we're not speaking out. I don't know what you could say, but we're just explaining how how it affected us as a family at the end of the day. Uh, and you know what? It was very very uh nice of that uh lawyer to reach out to us. Um, you know it just shows that there is some empathy and some, you know. People are looking beyond. So it, 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 well, I suppose, you know, that lawyer was looking for, um, to understand the impact that, uh, that Daniel Kinahan and his mob has had on families. And, and, uh, if, if. I, I, that to me, I just didn't understand why he wanted to do that, you know, and I was like, God, but it's a bit shocking to be quite honest, because I mean, they're doing their own thing about, it's all they do with the boxing and things like that. But maybe they're showing. I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. Like, to me, I'm just shocked at the whole thing, to be quite honest with um, But I do, I do see it up on, on Twitter there. Like, I, do, I do see the stories coming up. Um, I think now on St. Patrick's Day, there's going to be some kind of thing about the... Yeah, there's a, deve- a development uh, on that. Uh, well, yeah, he, he, like, we'll, we'll hopefully hear more, but um, he's look. Well, that, that, the lawyer hasn't really talk, spoke to us since that, you know, to be quite honest. So, I mean, anything that I hear, I read on Twitter. So, But there's a hope there maybe, uh, well, this is just what, what he's told me, in that he wants to give back to the communities affected and to the families affected by the feud, you know. So I su- hopefully Dear God, follows through. I, you know what, I would love that for, for Michael's kids. You know, they deserve the world and more. You know, they really do. I mean, they've lost such a big part of their life. You know, and when I think about Caitlin going to get married and, you know, have her first baby and her, and his sons, like, graduating. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, milestones that I... Uh, I know he's, he's always going to be with us because... Oh, I just... 
Michael was a character, so I just think he's always going to be here with us. But, you know, for them, for the kids, they mess out on him and, and they loved him so much. I mean, and he absolutely doted on them. And I would love, nothing's ever going to replace him. But if that guy thought, you know what, I'm going to give them them kids a, a few pounds, you know what, I would be maybe pay for their university. You know, things like that, that they could you know, make something of themselves with their lives and not delve into that world where maybe they want bloody retaliation. Because I've read a lot about that, you know, about children um, that grew up in that situation, you know, that might end up going down the wrong path. But I feel that Michael's children have good nurturing behind them, a lot of love, um, a lot of good direction from the family and their own mums, you know, that they will never have to ever go down that road. So, I mean, and I, I do feel sorry for any... Uh, families, especially in our in our city Dublin, that have that on their heads constantly. Um, it's just because we're such because Japan too, I suppose it's a very small town. Everybody knows one another. We're all here for each other. We help each other out, and you know. And I don't know what it's like to live in and and knowing the inner city. Um, with all that going on, I just my heart goes out to them. You know, it really does. And I would like to see if if. If that man was going to um, contribute and the the likes of like sports and stuff for young youngsters would be great. Um, growing up in Dublin, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. so or, that's what or Michael would advocate it. Loved seeing children um, and sports. That was his, you know, because he he was so under the GAA, like, and he thought this was grounding for young fellas, especially. Can I can I just ask? Um, look, you know, there there are some families who have lost loved ones, you know, recently and after you to murder and homicide. Does it ever get any easier for families? Mm-mm. Never, because it's left the biggest hole in your heart. A piece of us died whenever Michael died. You know, that's what I said. You have to love. We had to learn to love life differently. You know, when it come to a Saturday, that was the day Michael arrived home um, with the kids. The the first thing you would have heard him before before you seen him would come on the door. What's the crack? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, with his big Stravan accent. Um, and then I would have said, Michael. Get them clothes off you to iron, because I hate brothers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it was all, would you watch the wains for an hour? Then go down for a pint in the town. Oh, I know, baller. You know, we'd have made up with all these mates in the town and stuff. But hey, that's so mad, you know, because there's days I would go up to Michael's grave and there's pint, empty pint glasses sitting at the grave. Oh, really? So his, pa- his pals go up and have a drink with him, you know, um, especially around St. Patrick's Day and his birthday and his anniversary, obviously. So, I mean, it, like, he's, even if I meet his friends out in the town or just, you know, randomly or whatever, they're like, I still can't believe that man's gone. You know, it's just, it's just shocking. To us, they seen Michael like a brother as well. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because we are a small town and everybody knows one another um, like that. But, um, you know, it's definitely a big loss. A big loss to us and a big loss to his, his friends and, you know, people in the town. Because he was a life and bloody soul of the party. That's, he was just a clown, you know. But what, I have a story to tell you just before oh, you go. There's a, uh, I have two, sorry. <laughs> right, so <laughs> sorry. the day of the funeral, there was a guy from Dublin up and everybody had dispersed. They were, we had like a, a do on, you know, on Sagerson's GA club after it. So I don't know why I hung about, but there, there was absolutely nobody around. But this guy approached me and he said... Uh, I'm just looking for directions to Sigerson. I can't do the Dublin accent or whatever. I says, oh, right, so I'll I'll help you here. But we were standing talking outside the graveyard. And the next thing, this car comes speeding 
down the Melmount Road and I mean sped under the bloody uh, the chapel car park and out come like four hefty boys with bomber jackets on them and they come running over to me and they were all are you Mickey's sister? Are you Mickey's sister? And I was all why? Why? What's wrong? What's wrong? Oh we fucking missed it. We fucking missed it. It was travellers that used to drink in the bar oh, They broke down on the oh way up. God. But your fella from Dublin who was asking me, we got, we, I talked them, you know, showed them where to go or whatever, but this fella says to me then, this fella from Dublin, Ray called him, he says, I swear to God, I thought we were going to get whacked. <laughs> Just because of the whole dramatisation of the whole thing, you know, and I was standing there, I was like, oh Jesus, I'm going to get shot. <laughs> it's a fair assumption, yeah, no, my God. Uh, I, it's good you, know, you can laugh about it now, I suppose. Ah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it was shocking, actually. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but hey, just, but this is what I'm trying to say. It shows you how well liked he was from every part of the community. You know, for them, from travellers to come up from Dublin to, to try and get these funeral, you know, God love them. It was very, very nice of them, you know. And, and Michael accepted everybody, you know. They let them, I used to say to them, if you behave yourself, you can have a pint. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think you've given us a real picture of who he was, Nolan, and I, I, I'm glad that we've had the time to speak to you because I, 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 that's the problem when we report on these things. You, you can, you don't really get the full picture of uh, who the person was, and 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 no that's better sad. than to hear it from someone who knew him best. You know, like yourself. Uh, I feel like we've got a real picture and insight into who he was. Um, so thank you for speaking to us. I don't know if there's anything Mick wants to add or has thought of that I. Uh, <laughs> Just one question, Nolina. Thanks very much for speaking to us. I, I find it tremendously moving. You, you're the eldest sibling. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a responsibility to speak for him? Oh, uh, I'm the spokesperson. Actually, today, my brother was actually, he joined me today. Um, but uh, I actually, I asked my sister, you see, there's a, a good age difference between me and the youngest. There's 18 years between me and the youngest one. So they obviously didn't know Michael the way I would have known him. Um, so, oh no, my brother rang me there today and he said, Nolina, you are the spokesperson you are the spokesperson of the, the family but I am like that anyway so but and I'm only being like that because I feel like I want people to know what Michael was like I want the world to know what he was like I want you know I will take it to my grave that Michael was an innocent man you know and that's because we loved him so much and uh, there's no other way to describe it Michael was some man for one man as they say you do it very well there'll never be another one of them uh, well, th- th- thank you so much for speaking to us. Um, um, we've got a, a massive insight, as I said, into. Who- Sorry, I don't mean to ramble no, on too much. Today, but there's uh, just so many stories. I could sit here all night now and tell you a few. Uh, <laughs> if you think of more, let us know. Um, yeah, I, I suppose I, that's as good a place to leave it. And I, I really appreciate your time. Um, and Paul, also you and Mac- I, or Michael, sorry, I would like to thank you both actually for you know putting it out there that you uh, say that Michael's innocent because it means a lot to our family. You know, it really does, and I really, really want to thank you for that. And remember, nobody. I say this about David Byrne. I, you know. I'll say about Michael, I'll say about anybody, nobody has the right to take anybody else's life. That's exactly. just it. Exactly. I mean, the burns are something feeling the way we do today, you know. And that's a, it's not a nice place to be. So it's not. Thank you very much. No problem, guys.